If you would, stand with me as we read God's Word together. This is Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Beautiful and powerful passage. And the writer says this. <clears throat> Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by, doing, by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words. I pray you would open our minds and our hearts to understand them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. A few weeks ago on Halloween, I spoke with you on what the Bible has to say about demons witches and zombies, if you remember that. And as you were leaving after the service, I did have one of the attenders uh, come by me and say, well, you, you've talked about the bad ones. When are you going to preach about the good ones? And I said, well, you know, that's a good idea. Chris preached last week. And so uh, this morning, my message is entitled, What the Bible Has to Say There we go. What the Bible has to say about seraphim, cherubim, and angels. I can tell you that your pastor is no angel. I found out after the early service I misspelled cherubim, so I ran back into my office and rewrote it to, to spell it right. And so uh, now it's spelled correctly. Seraphim, cherubim, and angels. Some time ago in Los Angeles, there was a person that was uh, called the human fly. I don't know if you remember him. He could literally climb on the sides of department store buildings and slide along the walls without help from outside, any outside force. And he was a master at it. He was really good at it. That's why they called him the human fly. One Friday afternoon, a crowd gathered to watch him climb a building. He'd already climbed 20 stories and he had 10 stories yet to go. But suddenly he stopped moving. It appeared that he was looking for something to hold on to so that he might continue with his climb to the top of the building. Gradually, they saw his right hand moving to the side of the building as if trying to grab hold of something there. And suddenly he lost his footing and fell to his death. When they pried open his right hand, uh, they found uh, a thick uh, piece of cobweb in his hand because he had reached out and saw that dense cobweb and thought that cobweb was something that he that was solid that he could hold on to and it cost him his life he thought it was something but it was really nothing there are a lot of people like that in our world they cling to and hold on to a lot of things and a lot of doctrines in their life a lot of philosophies in their life that seem to be something but they're really nothing and so today, as we look at heavenly beings, I want us to consider what is something and what is not something. What can we put our faith in? What should we put our faith in and what we should not? I want to give you a biblical view of heavenly beings today. And so we're going to start with seraphim. Seraphim, or your Bible may say, call them seraph. I'm assuming seraphim is plural of seraph. I don't know. But Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, if you'll turn there with me, now, I could talk uh, a, a month about Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. It is an amazing passage. 
Isaiah is describing his calling here. It is unique at the time in all of history. Nobody's ever heard a vision like this. He waits until chapter 6 to share that calling. You would think it'd be in chapter 1, but he, he, he's putting it in context of some prophecies, and so he waits till chapter 6. And in chapter 6, verse 1, he says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isn't that something? I mean, I could just stop right there. <laughs> That's a lot. I saw the Lord seating on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Wow. Well, I can tell you a couple of things from this. Number one, and I think this is important, this description is fairly literal. Now, theologians debate whether it's where, whether he really saw that or it's intended as allegory. And there are a lot of things in this vision and what I'm not going to have time to read to you in the subsequent verses that make a great allegory. They make great application. For example, one of the seraphs is going to fly down and put a, a burning coal on his tongue. And that symbolizes God forgiving his sins and purifying him. We understand that analogy but unlike the book of Revelation and Ezekiel, where there is so much of what we call apocalyptic literature, so much of it is not visual so much as allegory, it, it, it symbolizes certain things. Here, I think that Isaiah, this is my opinion, is speaking from a vision that he actually had. And he's trying as best he can to describe what he saw. Now, I think John the Revelator did that as well, but he used that vision to describe a lot of things and he used allegory and he used apocalyptic literature to describe it here Isaiah is just speaking from his heart and he said this is my calling this is what happened I had a vision but theologians think he was probably in the temple or the tabernacle at the time or temple and he he had the vision while he was there but he clearly says that he saw God. Now, you and I know that God is not a physical being, but he saw God in, in the glory of his presence. He does say this, and I found this interesting. The train of his robe filled the temple. God had a robe. <laughs> I want to see the robe. I find that fascinating. That must be some robe. Also have to note for this morning that he mentions some heavenly creatures that are there in the temple of God, in, in the throne room of God. And he refers to them as seraph or seraphim. And it means to burn in Hebrew. And so these burningly bright creatures are there. And he describes them as winged creatures, heavenly creatures that are encircling the throne. They have six wings, not two wings or four, but six wings. And their, their function and purpose is to bring God glory. To, to worship. That's what they do. Now, what's interesting about this, this is the only time in the Bible where the word seraph or seraphim is mentioned. Right here. 
If it weren't for the calling of Isaiah, there were some things that we would not understand about heaven. Now, there are living creatures that are very similar. They're called living creatures. In John, the Revelator's uh, vision of heaven, around the throne room of God, but here and only here are they referred to as seraphim. I find that interesting. So if you see a five-volume set about seraphim, you need to understand that most of that stuff is just made up or speculative. <laughs> because in the Bible, the source for all truth, this is the only passage that talks about them. And so uh, that's what I'm going to believe is what I, I, I read, and, and that's what we have right here. We simply know they're powerful, heavenly beings that worship God. Next, we see cherubim. Cherubim are better known and are mentioned in the Bible 73 times. So we hear about them a, a great deal more. They were guardians in the Garden of Eden way back in Genesis. In Exodus chapter, in fact, we hear about cherubim before we hear about angels or seraphim. In Exodus chapter 25, it describes them as winged creatures depicted on the Ark of the Covenant. Remember when they made the Ark? They, they put two cherubim on the top. Remember if you saw the movie, um, there are two cherubim on the top. And those, those wings come together to form what? The mercy seat of God. It's called the mercy seat of God. Even way back in the time of, of Moses, they understood that, that God is a merciful God. It, it is his, it is his uh, famous characteristic, so much so that that's what the throne is called, the mercy seat of God. Also in Hebrew, the words mercy and love are very similar. It's the same concept. He's a loving God, therefore he is a merciful God. And so the cherubim formed, their wings formed that, so we know that they're winged creatures. Now this brings up an interesting point to me. And you have to understand this. We know of angels and cherubim and seraphim, but what we don't know is what else is in heaven. What is up there? Did God just create those three and human beings? By the way, we're none of those three. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. I don't know. And so I told you, if you read those volumes of speculation, don't believe it. So I'm about to speculate. I don't know what's in heaven. That may be it. It may be us and those three groups, the four of us up there, the redeemed and the heavenly creatures. There may be all kinds of heavenly beings that God has created that we just don't know anything about at all. So I'm fascinated. I would love to be able to see what my mother and father are seeing right now. I would love to have that conversation with them if they would share with me, if they could share with me what they see in heaven and all the, the Paul, and I, I know I tell you this often, shares in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, now I know in part and I see in part, but then I will know fully, even as I'm fully known. That is at, at the moment of our death and when we enter into God's kingdom, in, into, into heaven, God is going to share with us a lot of things that we don't know now because it wasn't necessary for us to know that. You, you and I understand as curious as we may be, it was not God's priority to share with us all the inner workings of heaven. We'll find that out in time. We don't need to know all of that. This is a, a, a clear word of truth, but there is so much God knows. He couldn't put in a book 
And we couldn't understand it even if he did. In fact, a lot of this, we can't, you know, we, humankind struggles to understand what he does right. And so I look forward to that. I can't wait to see that. To see that. But I know that there are cherubim and there are seraphim. Um, I want to look at the third one and spend most of my time here, and that is angels. Most people don't talk a lot about cherubim. They're the, you know, <laughs> we, we just make stuff up. You understand that. And I know I bash Hollywood every week because it's a lot of fun. And it's true. They just... You understand, when they go to make a movie, they don't, there is no conference meeting where they get together and think, okay, we're going to put angels in our movie. We want to keep this biblically correct. Can we hire a theologian or a pastor to come in and guide us about what the Bible says? Because that's our source and we don't want to portray them in a way that's not biblical. There is no conversation like that. They could care less what the Bible says. Their goal is to make money. They're a business and they need to make a movie. And so they'll use angels or demons or whatever they want to make, the devil or whatever. And they'll just make up whatever they want to make about it, uh, about those, those individuals or those beings uh, to make a movie. The problem is we grow up in a culture that sees these movies and people get confused and think, well, I guess that's, that's what an angel looks like. Or that's what a cherubim is. It's a little fat baby with little tiny wings and a little bow and arrow and makes you fall in love on Valentine's Day. No, no. So anyway, that, that was cherubim. And so angels are even more confusing to a lot of people because I see them in so many uh, horrible, awful applications in, in movies. So I'm going to give you a few misconceptions about angels. By the way, angels are mentioned in the Bible over 300 times. So this is not some obscure theology. This is not something we don't know anything about like seraphim. We, we do see them appear all through not only the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. Again, even back in Genesis. So here's a few misconceptions. Number one, misconception number one, angels have wings. No. Now, seraphim have wings, cherubim have wings, but we don't have a lot of descriptions or descriptions about angels with wings. They just look better on the tree with wings, frankly. In fact, a lot of times when angels appeared in the Old Testament and New Testament, they didn't even know they were angels most of the time. They were thought they were just men. Uh, and obviously, if they showed up with big flapping wings, they would go, oh, there's an angel. But they don't say that because they didn't have wings. Number two, angels, mostly in our culture, are female uh, because it just looks better in the painting. It looks better, that little angel you put on top of the tree. Nobody wants a male angel on their tree. Uh, that would just look weird. We like the beautiful angel, female angels and all the glitter and et cetera, et cetera. But all the angels in the Bible are appearing as men, which, by the way, ends up, uh, brings up an interesting point. Angels are not physical beings as you and I are physical beings. They are spiritual beings. That's what the Bible describes them as. So technically speaking, if you and I, because we live in a gender-confused world, angels are not men or women. They're angels. But they did appear, and they can appear however they want to, even through a donkey. Um, <laughs> they can appear however they want to appear. But in the Bible, I guess for various reasons, they appeared as men. But I, I still prefer an angel uh, that's female on my tree. Um, sorry, guys. They just look better. Uh, 
oh, here's a really, uh, you know, and I just thought of this, and I was going through this this week. Here's another misconception. <clears throat> Every time a bell rings, no. <laughs> we get that from It's a Wonderful Life. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets their wings. Well, they don't have wings, so <laughs> we know that's irrelevant. Anyway, uh, fourth, if you believe in your guardian angel, he will keep you from all harm. If you believe in your guardian angel, he will keep you from all harm. First of all, our faith is to be in God alone, not in angels. If you're depending on angels and angels alone, somehow independent of God, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. You're going to be terribly disappointed. Secondly, if you believe in your guardian angel, that is your guardian angel, is, his job is to protect you and keep you from all harm, you can do the math. Every Christian dies. And so if that's their primary function, they're really not very good at it. <laughs> I've heard this also. And uh, please forgive me. I don't mean to pop your bubble. People will say my loved one died. So heaven has a new angel. No, no, people are not angels. Angels didn't come from people. In fact, angels were created before the earth was created. They've been around a long time since the beginning. Now I'm not saying that your loved one's no angel. I am saying that they're not literally an angel, that God has a function and a purpose and place for us in heaven in addition to the angels. Uh, but angels are not converted humans. Um, uh, let me share with you a, a few things that angels are not. They are not the Holy Spirit. They are not to be recipients of praise ever. They are not a replacement for God. They are not omnipotent, omniscient, or omnipresent. That is, they are not all-powerful, all-knowing, or ever-present. Only God is that way. God has those qualities. Now, let me share with you a few things that we do know about angels this morning, and I think you'll find this interesting. Number one, angels do exist. They wouldn't be in the Bible 300 times or more if they didn't exist. And even though Hollywood may get it wrong about all the details, they're right about one thing. There are angels, always have been since the beginning of the world or since, since you and I have been here, since before the beginning of the world. They are created. They're not eternal like Jesus and, and the Trinity. Uh, they, were, they are created beings, uh, but they were created long before you and I. So they do exist. And again, over 300 times in the Bible, Beginning in Genesis chapter 16, we first see angels, and this is thousands of years ago. This is to the maidservant of Sarah. Sarah was, had some relationship problems with Hagar, and there's a, it was a complicated family situation. And so Sarah mistreated Hagar. Hagar ran out into the wilderness with her son. The son's, his name was Ishmael, and his father was Abraham. And so she goes out in the wilderness, they're about to die, or she thinks they're going to die, and God sends a, an angel to minister to her, and the angel gives God's promise to her that God will make uh, uh, many people from her son, that, in other words, they're not going to die out there. And so early on, we see that ministering spirit there. An angel appeared to Jacob, to Joshua, and to many, 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 many more in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In light of all the angels there are, and there are countless angels, we'll get to that in just a minute, 
there are only three angels that we know of by name. Tell me the names of those three angels. All right, Gabriel. Gabriel's the cool one because he plays the trumpet, which tells me that there are trumpets in heaven, by the way. Um, number two, Michael. Michael is the archangel. A lot of people think it's Gabriel, but in the Bible, it's actually Michael. And so Michael is the archangel. And the third angel is Lucifer, mentioned by name. So Lucifer was created as an angel, and he didn't stay an angel, but he was created as an angel. In Matthew chapter 4, after, uh, and by the way, this is another thing I wanted to tell you. Angels are ministering spirits. It's not the only thing they do. They're often God's messengers, but they are ministering spirits. They come here to minister often. In Matthew chapter 4, after the temptation of Jesus, do you remember that 40 days that he was in the wilderness and Satan came and tempted him? At the conclusion of that temptation, because he was hungry, he had not had anything to eat in 40 days, uh, uh, angels came and attended him. I, I'm assuming that means they gave him Big Macs or something, but it doesn't say, but they came and attended him after the temptation. And then in Luke chapter 22, just before the arrest of Jesus, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you remember that agonizing scene where he is so stressed, you think your job is stressful, try being the Savior. Um, he is so stressed about what is about to happen. This is where he prays, Lord, uh, Father, if, if it be possible, may this cup be passed from me, but not my will, your will be done. It was his way of saying to God the Father, I am prepared to submit to your will no matter what. It, the Bible says he was under so much duress, distress, that he was sweating blood. Now, that's pretty intense stress. After he prayed, though, the Bible says that angels came to strengthen him. It actually says that if you'll look that up in Luke chapter 22. And so God sends ministering angels in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. It tells us point blank. He says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Now, a couple things in here, and that's a great verse. Isn't that a great verse? I didn't write this, by the way. I just reported. Here's what it says. Angels are ministering spirits. They're, they come here to, do, to minister, and they are spirits. They're ministering spirits to sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Who are those that will inherit salvation? Christians. So, by the way, if you're sitting out there thinking, well, I don't really believe in God but I believe in my guardian angel. No, you're out of luck. <laughs> you have to be a Christian to be ministered to by angels. Is that not what it says? If you, if you want to be ministered by angels, you better surrender to Jesus Christ. They're not for everybody. They're for God's people and them alone. They're sent for Christians only. Now, one of the reasons I think that angels are so popular in the secular world is that people mistakenly believe that angels operate independent of God. That God created the angels, then he created mankind, and he had a, a committee meeting with his angels, and he said, look guys, I, I, they need some help. Just go down and see what you can do. <laughs> and they just come down and looking around. No, no. They do what God tells them to do precisely when, where, and how he wants them to do it. And then that's it. They don't hang out 
again, you might see it differently in movies, but they don't hang out. They're not loitering in this world. They're here ministering to God's people. Uh, also, when people believe that, I don't need to be a Christian in order to have a, an angel. And I've told you this before. This is a popular theology because you don't have to surrender your life to an angel. You don't have to repent of your sins for an angel. You don't have to uh, believe in what the Bible teaches and surrender to lordship of an angel. The belief is, I just have my guardian angel and it's me and the angel. I have this understanding. I don't really need Jesus because I got an angel. Typically, that's just not true. We just made that up. Next, there are a lot of angels. I alluded to this a while ago, but I want you to look in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. This is one example. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. John says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels. How many? Numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And so here's his description of worship in heaven. And he mentions the number of angels. Now, he, when he says 10,000 times 10,000, he didn't count them. <laughs> he didn't go one, two, three. No. What does he mean by 10,000 by 10,000? Yeah, that's a lot of thousands. That's right. It is a staggering number of angels. I promise when we get to heaven, for those who are believers, and God allows in his mercy through the blood of Christ us to enter into heaven, if our name's in the Lamb's book of life, we get to enter into heaven, and we see the angels around the throne, I promise the first thing that we're going to say is, wow, that's way more than I thought. It's going to be mind-boggling. And so a, a lot of angels. Also, angels are stronger and more powerful than humans. I don't have time to go there, but 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 tells us that angels are stronger and more powerful than humans. Also, did you know there are fake angels? <clears throat> In this world, there are fake angels. They seem like angels. They may claim to be angels, but they are frauds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, to the church in Corinth, Paul says this, <clears throat> for such men are false apostles. There were false apostles, false teachers going around during the day. He said they're deceitful workmen. The masquerading is apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as what? An angel of light. It is not, by the way, Satan is not an angel. He was created an angel. He's not an angel anymore. He just masquerades as an angel. Verse 15, it's not surprising then if his servants, Satan's servants, masquerade as servants of righteousness. Therein will be what their actions deserve. Now, I don't know how else to tell you this. It's the hard truth. <clears throat> there, are, uh, there are some bad folks around in this world. And bad folks never come up to you and say, I'm a bad person. I'm a mean old person. I'm about to lie to you. I'm going to cheat you because the devil is my father. They never say that. Oh, no, they, they wear nice outfits and they pretend to be ministers. They pretend to be pastors or preachers or healers or whatever. They always pretend, and I'm not, I'm not 
trying to point to any names or any people. I'll, I'll let your discernment do that. But you have to understand, he's already telling us, Paul is already having to deal with people who claim to be God's ministers, but they're really frauds. They're lying to you. And so you want to be careful about that. Beware of phony angels. Next, angels appear to have choice. And again, there are volumes of theologians debating this. I'm just going to read you what the Bible says. This is 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Peter says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. And that sentence goes on for an entire paragraph. He talks about other examples uh, in a broader subject that he's talking about. But for angels, they're in this. It was just too long to put the whole thing up there. But this is the only part that talks about angels. God did not spare angels when they sinned. And so angels, at least at one time, had a choice and they chose to sin. Now he's talking about those who were cast out of heaven, probably at the same time that Satan himself was cast out of heaven. And, uh, but they, they have choice, or at least they did. Next, we do have angels that look over us. Again, I'm not making it up. I'm going to give you right out of the Bible. We do have angels that look over us. Here's one passage. There was a group of children that was uh, surrounding Jesus and he was meeting with children. And he says this in Matthew 18, 10. He says, these are the words of Christ. See to it that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. I'm, I don't even know what that means, <laughs> but that's pretty exciting. See, Jesus has been in heaven for an eternity. He created the angels. So he has access to the, the, the mind of his father and he understands things that you and I don't understand. And he, I don't say he let this slip. He, didn't, he never lets anything slip, but he gives us this little peek into heaven. And he says, for I tell you that there, speaking of the children, their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. Again, I'm not sure exactly what he's talking about there, but I find that fascinating. Uh, now, that does not mean that we are invincible on earth. So don't go out today and, and see what the top speed in your sports car is or get on a motorcycle and just wind it out and think, all right, I've got an angel. It's okay. But while we're not guaranteed angelic protection, it does happen where and when God chooses. Billy Graham famously wrote a book about angels. It's entitled Angels, God's Secret Agents. I haven't read the entire book, or if I have, it's been so many years, I don't recall all of it. But in the book, he describes the testimony of a guy named John Patton. And now, because of that book, this is a famous testimony. You've probably heard about it. He was serving as a missionary, he and his family, in the New Hebrides Islands. And I probably said that really badly. And how angels once protected him and his family. He goes on to say in his testimony that a hostile nation of natives surrounded the mission headquarters of the Patons one night with the intent of burning them out of there and killing them. They were going to execute them. So John Patton and his wife and his children huddled together and they prayed for God to deliver them from that danger. They awakened the next morning, relieved to discover that somehow 
inexplicably, there would-be attackers had left. And so they thanked God for delivering them. But the rest of the story is this. A year later, Billy Graham says this about the testimony. The chief of the tribe was converted to Jesus Christ. And Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened that year before when they all gathered to kill them, asked the chief what had kept him and his men from burning down the house and executing them. The chief replied in surprise. He said, this is the chief speaking, who were all those men you had with you there? The missionary answered, there were no men there, just my wife and I and our children. And the chief argued that they had seen many men standing guard, hundreds and hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They circled the mission station so that the natives could not attack. Well, that's interesting. Angels are here, and they're probably here more than we realize. And that brings us all the way back, full circle, to our verse for today, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. Hebrews 13, verse 1, the writer says, keep on loving each other. It doesn't say start loving each other, by the way. We're supposed to love each other. You do know that, right? We're supposed to love each other. He says, keep on. Don't stop. Keep on loving each other as brothers. And then he says this, do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Oh, my goodness. That tells me something. Now, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say there are angels sitting out here this morning uh, or that you're an angel. But uh, Chris got up a after the first service and announced to the whole congregation that he was an angel. And, um, and then he confessed that his wife does not agree. But, <laughs> but I can tell you this. You and I, on Judgment Day, when God reveals to us all things, I think we're going to be shocked and stunned at those times in our life that we, in fact, have encountered angels and we didn't even know. So you better be nice. <laughs> I don't want to have to go around heaven and apologizing to angels because I was mean to them. And so this is what he's saying here. He says, you want to be hospitable to people because you never know. It might not be a human at all. It may be an angel. In his book, Billy Graham said it this way. This is Billy Graham's conclusion. He said, I am convinced that these heavenly beings exist and they provide unseen aid in our behalf. I do not believe in angels, he says, because someone has told me about a dramatic visitation from an angel, impressive as such rare testimonies may be. I do not believe in angels because UFOs are astonishingly angel-like in some of the reported appearances. I do not believe in angels because ESP experts are making the realm of the spirit world seem more and more plausible. I do not believe in angels because of the sudden worldwide emphasis on the reality of Satan and spiritual work among demons. I do not believe in angels because I've ever seen one because I haven't. I believe in angels because the Bible says there are angels and I believe the Bible to be the true word of God. The Bible says there are angels. I believe it. So when you go out this week, be careful, you never know who you might bump into. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for these passages and, and for an understanding, a, a glimmer 
a glimpse of what is in heaven and even on earth. I pray as we go out, first of all, we want to say thank you for those times you do intervene. That we don't have a license to live foolishly or dangerously thinking that we're just going to have a protector there all the time. We know that's not the purpose and the function of angels. But we do know you do have angels here in this world. Working toward your will and your purpose. We don't understand the logistics of that because it is not for us to understand or you would have told us. We simply acknowledge that you have ministering spirits among us. Thank you. Help us, Father, not to put our faith in angels because they are merely beings doing your bidding. That you are the one that deserves glory and honor and praise. That every intervention by an angel is an intervention from you. And we thank you for that. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you today? To say, God, I pray you would open my mind and my eyes and my heart because I never know when I might meet an angel. It may be God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church and you want to minister as the angels do. We have a similar job. It's our function to minister to others as well. And you want to do that here through First Baptist Church. Just come forward and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. Or maybe you want to surrender your life to Christ today, as so many did with the baptism, and they acknowledged Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And you want to come and do that today and say, Pastor, I want to get saved. Or maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray for God's intercession in your life. If God is leading right now, this invitation is for you. Would you stand? No one's looking around. All eyes are closed. All heads are bowed. As you continue to pray, would you stand right now? You come.